Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast is a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be sent to DeSantisProd at gmail.com. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I f***ing love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that boss the next. Big jab there from Duffy and Brett Mir is hurt now. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, do I miss calling fights with Ken Flo. How about the new show open today, Flo? I think that was July 2015, San Diego, California. Frank Mir, Todd Duffy. I remember it well. I remember I left my wallet uh, (laughs) in an Uber and I lost everything. I had a bunch of cash in there, a nice wallet that my mom gave me. I'm sorry, mom. I lost the wallet. Uh, Ken Flo was so ahead of his time, he was using Uber back in 2015. <laughs> I miss those days, man. That was fun. That was a lot man, of fun, and I'm, that was I'm, a crazy fight. Oh, I'm still holding out hope that, that those days will return. But TJ DeSantis freshen up the show open this week. It is Monday. It is January 28th. The year is 2019. This is episode 188 of the Anakin Florian podcast. I'm having a little podcast studio built out at, at my house, as I think I told the listeners last week. So, If you're hearing an echo, it's because I'm in my mother's atrium. I'm in Delray Beach, Florida today. I am not at home because it would have been too loud with a baby and a desk being built. So here we are. Hopefully the audio is okay. Ken Flo, six days until Super Bowl 53. I do not have a game ticket yet. Uh, Neither do I. I, I've Ah. been probing. I've been probing my sources. I got nothing. I got nothing, kid. Uh uh, man, that would be awesome to be there, but uh, I don't know if it's going to happen, man. His bags are packed. Send them home. His bags uh, are packed. Send them home. Well, <laughs> there are a lot of factors, right? So for me, I think the biggest factor is that I got to spin it around to Melbourne next Wednesday, right? Yep. So when you start to think about the factors, and I hate to think about the outcome and all of this, but just imagine the Patriots lose to the Rams. I get in a car to drive 
through the night, you know, maybe stop in Jacksonville after five hours. You know, I come back home maybe 2 p.m. Monday, immediately do the podcast and then start thinking about UFC 234 and going to Melbourne on Wednesday. I don't know if it's necessarily in the cards. I've also been fighting with my twin brother in terms of the section and where we want to sit. So um, we're not there yet, but I'm still holding out hope. The other thing, too, candidly, my seven-year-old daughter, Riley, when I told her the Super Bowl party was canceled and I was going to Atlanta, she burst into tears and was so upset that (laughs) I feel like I got to, you know, a Super Bowl party is back on, Riley, if you're listening. So I don't think we're going to Atlanta. But a lot to get to today. Longo coming up in about 10 minutes. We will also today officially begin the 2019 main event challenge. Ken Flo has five main card picks for UFC Fight Night, a Sun Sal versus Marais 2. But off the top today, I wanted to lead with this because I was afraid I wouldn't get to it. Max Blessed Holloway just continues to be the man inside the octagon might be the most exciting champion we have and outside the octagon great post on social media over the weekend likely in an attempt i think to ratchet up the conversation for a rematch against the proper 12 whiskey founder conor mcgregor max holloway took to twitter and instagram and he seemingly flow teamed up with jameson whiskey he wrote 238 years of innovation, hard work, and unmatched quality, not a watered-down trend, a true pillar of Ireland, supporting the hardworking families in Dublin for generations. Thank you, Jameson Whiskey, for the hospitality, the number one Irish whiskey in the world. Ken Flo, I mean, this is really well done. I know you you walked out in Vancouver during the Stanley Cup final with a Boston Bruins jersey on. It was your crowning achievement in my mind as a mixed martial arts fighter. No, <laughs> but dude, this is good stuff. This is high level stuff for Max Holloway in my mind. Master level trolling. Master oh level. God. Red belt of, of trolling. Uh, Max Holloway killing it there. Um, I, I thought it was interesting that he kind of did this Ireland tour. I, I don't know I wonder if it was something that maybe him and his team kind of cooked up and said, hey, let's go to Ireland. If we want this fight, what better way than to go to his home soil and, and kind of troll him over there, go visit the the Jameson factory and, right. um, you know, go to Croke Park. He was at Croke Park as well. And listen, I, I think that'd be an amazing fight. A, a lot has changed since those two last fought. Um, I, I think for both of them, they're obviously they're both different fighters, but Max Holloway, especially so. Um, and, and I like it, man. If, if you want to get a fight in this game and uh, today's mixed martial arts landscape, right. you kind of have to do things like that, especially right. if you want that big money fight against Conor McGregor. It is an interesting stroke by Max Holloway, and it comes on the heels of a big win for Donald Cowboy Cerrone, his ensuing call out of Conor McGregor, and then Conor responding in kind on Twitter and sort of saying in some breath that he has an appetite for the Cerrone fight. So in terms of a next fight for Conor McGregor, we don't know exactly when that is going to be. I think what we do know, Kenny, there are a lot of, of interesting options. Conor's going to call his own shot, no matter what we think. I mean, I can sit here and tell you that a rematch with Dustin Poirier makes more competitive sense right now than a fight with Donald Cowboy Cerrone. But I think ultimately, mostly it's going to come down to who Conor McGregor wants to fight. So I need Flo to tell me who he wants to see Conor McGregor fight next and ultimately who you think he is going to fight next. Now, I have eight names for you today. If I left anybody out, uh, Podcast at gmail.com or let us know on Twitter, and hopefully there are no glaring omissions. But I got eight guys who I think, I think Conor McGregor's next opponent will come out of this mix. So Khabib Nurmagomedov, of course, number one. The rematch obviously makes fiscal sense, if not competitive sense. Max Holloway. 
Ken Flo mentioned the history there. Perhaps it's a non-title fight at 155 pounds. Most don't expect Connor would go back down to featherweight. Dustin Poirier, again, another past McGregor victim. Uh, Nate Diaz always is going to be on this list. I think this is a fight that always makes financial sense. I had always hoped if they met for a third time that there would be championship stakes, and at least in the immediate future, that is not going to be the case. Donald Cerrone, as we mentioned, Tony Ferguson, 11 straight wins, still no shot at the undisputed UFC lightweight title. Hopefully his next fight is for that. Ally Aquinta, I know that's the fight Al wants. I'm not sure it makes much sense for Conor. And then Pauli Malignaggi, because I do think if Conor McGregor goes back to boxing, that, that maybe that would be the guy. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't have included him. Uh, maybe he doesn't deserve inclusion on that list. Ken Flo, what can you tell me about Conor McGregor's next UFC fight? Uh, I will tell you this. I'm going to be in a bad mood for the rest of the damn day <laughs> because you put Pauli Malignaggi on I that know. list, guy. I Come know. on, guy. I'm All right. No, I, I like Fucking I like terrible. it. Listen, I like it for the boxing reason. I like um, but I will be in a bad mood for the rest of the day. <laughs> All, right. All right. All right. So who do I who do I think he's going to fight next? Do you want that first or do you want to? Th- yeah. Want I mean, know who who I... do you think is most likely? I, is right. it Cerrone because of what we saw recently? You know, I think that's probably most likely. I think it's probably going to be Cerrone. Look, you got both of those guys who are true characters in the game. Both those guys are excellent strikers. You get Connor back on track by having him fight another striker, right? So, uh, you know, feasibly, let's say he goes out there and he and he beats uh, Cowboy Cerrone in, in impressive fashion. Him being a southpaw who's a high-pressure guy who has excellent hands. Um, he could get it done against Cerrone. I think that makes sense for him. Now, if Cerrone goes out there and wins... Now you get this guy who went went from already being a big star to being a potential superstar and then maybe fighting uh, for the belt one more time against a guy who he's never faced before in Habib Nurmagomedov. Tough stylistic matchup for Cowboy, but I think that's pretty much a win-win for the UFC. Two very popular guys going at it, one from the United States, the other from Ireland. Now, um, who do I want to fight? Uh, Who do I want uh, to see Conor fight? I think Max Holloway. I, I think yeah. that makes the most sense. I do not want to see him fight Habib Nurmagomedov. I think it's a tough matchup. I think he needs more time to prepare for such a fight. Mm-hmm. But I do like a fight against Max Holloway at 155 pounds. Now, for Max, he has nothing to lose at 155, right? He's not going to lose his belt. He can keep his belt at 145. Um, he goes up in uh, weight at 155 to fight Connor. Um, and I, I, again, I think that's pretty much a win-win, uh, for the UFC business wise. I think that that makes a whole lot of sense and just, you, you can market the hell out of that fight. That's an easy fight to hype up. Um, it's an amazing fight. The way that they match up, it's intriguing. Uh, it, it's mysterious. Both those guys, uh, are, are as popular a, as ever. Um, I think that's the fight to make. Cause I don't know if that fight can ever be made again. Uh, well, I mean, right. You know? No, I think that you you sort of led me to that point, right, is that that fight would have less appeal, obviously, if Max Holloway were to go out and lose to Hinato Moicano or Alexander Volkanovsky, right? So in terms of striking while the iron is hot, and Max Holloway certainly has earned that opportunity, right? He's won 13 straight fights, including several featherweight title defenses since that loss to McGregor in 2013. My only issue with that is that you're potentially holding up the featherweight division for six months or so. Now, you don't have the logjam at 145 pounds like you do maybe at 135 pounds where a Sun Sal and Ice are fighting this weekend and both are worthy of a title shot yesterday, right? But 
I would land on Dustin Poirier. You know, I think this is the most competitive matchup. I also think for Conor McGregor, the appeal in the Poirier fight may be unlike the Cerrone fight with respect to, to Cowboy Cerrone's two-fight winning streak, is that Dustin Poirier is a certifiable top five lightweight in the world right now who is conceivably one win away from realizing that elusive first UFC title fight. So for Conor McGregor, if ultimately the goal is to have earned on paper another lightweight championship opportunity, then I think Poirier gives him the best path to do that. Now, certainly, Kenny, one win for Conor. Conor can fight Khabib right now if he wants to, okay? Even though Khabib has said competitively he is not worthy. But you could be sure if Conor says, I want to fight as soon as possible and I want Khabib to be the guy, uh, that the promotion's going to probably make every effort to give him that opportunity given uh, the dollars and cents. So... For me, if Connor is the competitor that I know him to be, I think the Poirier fight would be a touch more appealing than the Cerrone fight, if not the pay-per-view fight that maybe Cerrone McGregor would be. Uh, I think you have a point. Um, Cerrone only has one fight uh, at 155 after uh, being away from the division after a couple years. Right. Um, but he still brings that respect. And. There's no doubt about it that as as uh, as good as a fighter Dustin Poirier is, um, as far as the perception of uh, of people and who they know and who they want to watch, I, I think a lot of people would probably know Cowboy Cerrone's name over Dustin Poirier's name. And the fact that Cerrone uh, and Connor haven't fought, I think that makes it more intriguing than you know. Yeah. Uh, even though people are you know, it's been a while, but again, people are going to remember that first round knockout. Uh, against Dustin Poirier and now obviously that was a different division that was a long time ago but um, you know I, I think the Stroney fight makes makes a little bit more sense for her as well um, but I don't know I mean stop who knows I mean both of those there's a lot of options out there and for all these fighters I mean I think if you asked anybody out there would you want to fight Habib Nurmagomedov for the belt or would you want to fight Conor McGregor uh, for all that money, um, I think a lot of people would pick Conor McGregor. I mean, that that really is right. uh, the fight that a lot of people want. Um, so, listen, I, it's going to be interesting to see what, what direction uh, they go. Obviously, for the fighters that are in it um, and, and really true mixed martial artists, they're going to try to get that belt and fight Habib Nurmagomedov. But uh, th this is a life-changing event for a lot of these fighters. Uh, and if you have an opportunity to fight Conor McGregor and have it change your life, I think they do it. And you got to have a lot of respect for Khabib Nurmagomedov to even come out publicly and articulate the fact that he doesn't think Connor is worthy, even though that is far and away the biggest payday for him. It seems like right. Khabib wants to fight Tony Ferguson based upon the body of work. And, and gosh, I mean, we, we scream from the rooftops. If, if Tony Ferguson isn't worthy of an undisputed UFC championship opportunity, then I'm not sure any fighter in UFC and, history ever has been. And, and that's the thing, sorry, I wanted to get to as well. You, you let those guys fight for the belt as they right. should. You let right. Tony Ferguson and Habib Nurmagomedov settle that, and, and, uh, and you have Connor involved in another fight against Cerrone or Poirier or Holloway. So I think we're in agreement that we both think the most likely course of action is going to be Conor McGregor versus Donald Cowboy Cerrone. I wonder how the fans feel, you know, if we were to do a poll, right. like what do people prefer, prefer Poirier versus Cerrone? And then I wanted to ask you, but long goes on hold. I want to know who you think is the tougher fight in 10 seconds, Dustin Poirier or Donald Cerrone for Conor right now. Oh, man. Interesting. Uh, that's a tough. That's a tough answer. I, I think that P 
Poirier uh, is dangerous. I think he's way better than he was, but and I think he's as hungry as ever. But I, I just think Cerrone has a little bit more weapons right now, man. Uh, he's yeah. got more weapons, and I also think he's a little bit more of a threat, um, you know, on the ground in some ways, uh, even more so than sure. Poirier. Sure. Very interesting conversation, and uh, we'll find out, hopefully, sooner rather than later, as to who is next for Khabib Nurmagomedov, Conor McGregor, Tony Ferguson, and the rest. We know what is next for Ray Longo, his weekly spot here on the Anakin Florian Podcast. Let's get to Ray. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Well, hopefully the listeners got to hear Ray Longo on hold. Just tell everybody that he's out of his fucking mind. It's 106 p.m. <laughs> Eastern time, so we're a few minutes late, and Longo doesn't seem too happy about it. Good afternoon, Raymond. Come on, man. Let's get this show rocking. <laughs> oh, man. You don't keep a good man down. You don't keep a good man waiting. I mean, what is so pressing that you need to go do? You got to go hold some pads for Aljamain Sterling or what? I, I got to hold pads, man. It's my whole life is holding pads. <laughs> I bet it is. H- have you ever held pads yeah. for, for uh, Kenneth Allen Florian? No, I haven't, but I would love to. Oh, I man, that fucking jab, dude. I think, Woo! I think we'd have a lot of fun together. That would be fun. So, uh, Aljamain Sterling, Jimmy Rivera, February 17th, Phoenix, Arizona. No streaming service needed. This one is live on ESPN. Tell me the betting line, Ray. What do you think? Oh, man. Is the betting line out yet? Of course it is. Uh, well, I'm going to say they have uh, Rivera as the favorite. You're right. Uh, uh, minus 150. So it's wider than I thought. I wrote down minus 140 Rivera, and maybe it's just my, my Longo and Weidman MMA bias. But I thought it'd be a little bit closer. Jimmy Rivera minus 200, Aljamain Sterling plus 170. Sounds to me like you need to let us go and find find a local bookie to load up on Aljo. Yeah, I'm going to uh, try to find a local bookie. But, uh, look, very tough fight. Jimmy's been around for a long time. Very good. Aljo's looking good, man. This is going to be a great fight. And uh, I think Aljo knows what's at stake. And uh, he's going to rise to the occasion. Well, I don't think it's going to be too hard to find a bookie in Long Island, New York, Ray. But uh, listen, hey, man, yeah. what what's going on with Chris, man? He had some surgery on his neck. Uh, was that something that just happened uh, out of the blue? Was it something – seemed like it was something he didn't expect. Do you have anything to uh, say about that surgery that he had? Uh, you know, he had a disc replacement, and it didn't come out of the blue. He was waiting. They, they waited a while because they – he, first, he didn't have, like, feeling, but they say the determining fact, and I'm, I'm just talking generalizations because I'm not yeah. really that sure, but I was working out with him a lot before that, and he was, they said the feeling was okay. That feeling came back, but he did lose strength. I mean, we, we were we were lifting a lot together, and he couldn't, uh, he wasn't looking good, so they said, let's give it another three weeks. Uh, he had scheduled a, the original surgery for the day after Christmas, and then uh, they postponed it. They said, let's see if we can get some strength back. The strength never came back. So that was wow. the determining factor. And then he just went in. Uh, they made that decision last week, and he just jumped right into the hospital. 
They said it was a success. I mean, he still can't drive. I just got off the phone with him, and obviously his neck's a little sore. But, yeah, they, they replaced the disc, uh, like a three-and-a-half-hour surgery, too. So it was a little different oh, wow. than the other one. Where they, yeah, yeah, it was wacky. I mean, even when he was explaining it to me, I had to tell him to stop because it wasn't, you know, they got to move his trachea over. They got to do this. I'm like, right, Jeez, God, that's man. crazy. I he posted some picture. Too. He posted some picture of his neck draining. I, I mean, it, it looked gnarly, man. Yeah, I don't even know why he's doing that. I thought he sent me that. And I said, well, why, what, don't, don't ever send me that again. What's the purpose of that? Yeah, go have but, some breakfast uh, after that. Yeah, unbelievable. But, yeah, so supposedly it went good. And, uh, you know, it's funny, man. Somebody had a problem with their thumb, so they went to ask Chris, you know, what would you do for your thumb? Then somebody had a problem with their knee. They went to I go, Chris, you're like a walking encyclopedia now with <laughs> right. injuries. Everybody comes to you because you've been there like 10 times on each Jeez. body part. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's he's a better man than me. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm a chicken shit when it comes to that. So. Certainly sounds like it, Ray. <laughs> Thank you, John. <laughs> so, uh, but you notice Ken Flo's the one with the hard-hitting questions, right? Constantly asking you about injuries. I'm just, I'm just trying to see if you're trying to get a bet in on Aljamain Sterling. Ken Flo's the hard-hitting journalist. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, right. Aljo's looking good. Very good. We had a great session last night. He had actually finished the week off really good. So I like where he's at. Um, you know, and again, I say this with Aljo, we've still yet to see what Aljo could do. So I'm I'm still waiting for his coming out party. You know, that's how talented I think he is. So, Well, this, this people don't like when I suggest that people don't like when I suggest that these title eliminator type fights when they don't go your way can be two to four year setbacks. But when you look at 135 pounds, Raymond, I say this with all due respect, this is one you have to have. Right. You beat Jimmy Rivera. All of a sudden the way it sets up your career trajectory in 2019 and 2020 is completely different uh, than if you guys lose this fight. And and especially given that TJ and Henry just fought that you got a Sun Sal and Marice this weekend, everybody fighting sort of close together. Um, this is the biggest, I know they say every, every fight, every next fight's the biggest fight of the career, but this is the biggest fight of Aljo's career for sure. Yeah, this is the biggest fight of his career. I think he knows that these guys have been going back and forth. Look, Jimmy's a good guy. Obviously, you know, we're all from the, the tri-state area. You know, Schultz, you know, Danny and his brother Ron, they're all good guys. So uh, we know what to expect. Those guys always come to fight. And, uh, yeah, I'm saying the biggest fight of his career, and I agree with you. But, you know, I'm not putting that type of pressure. I just want him to go out and do what he does right. in the gym, and then I'll be very happy. You know what right. I mean? That's all he has to do is whatever he does in the gym, just doing that fight, and we'll have a great night. And I'll take care of applying that pressure when he walks to the octagon, okay? Okay, yeah, definitely. Yep, uh, put I'll the pressure on him. I will. Uh, That's yeah, my but, job. But, but, but like you said, too, though, all of these fights are big. At this yeah, point. no, Nobody's of course. I mean, you know, that's why I say, like, look, these guys, they're all fighting the top guys in the in the world. And, you know, whatever happens, happens. But, you know, they're all at a great level. I'm proud of all of them, everybody. You know what I mean? They it's 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 really a good thing. So we're not looking for easy fights. They're not getting easy fights. And right. look, if this is what you want to do, man, this is your time to shine. So Aljo's he's on the big stage, man. He knows it and uh should be a great night. 
And I guess I overstated a little bit because you drop a, a split decision to Jimmy Rivera and then you step up on short notice and beat in a sun sow, then the loss literally doesn't hurt you at all. So it's not like the be-all or the end-all, but when I look at 135 pounds, if Aljo could get this one, uh, he would be in business. All right, I'm going to get a prediction from you right, on a and, sun and John, and, yeah, and John, the only guy really that, that beat him was Marais at this point. I mean, they, they'd be a sun sow fight. I really thought he won. But obviously a close fight, and Rafael's a good dude. But you know, I he he's at those guys that that whole top five or six, anybody could beat anybody on any given day. That's I, that's what I believe. You know what I mean? Right. And I thought, I thought, God, what's the prediction for for this weekend? Yeah, well, well it, it, you can win $100 if you can correctly predict who wins a Sun Sow or Marais. Rafael, a Sun Sow is the plus 160 underdog. Marlon Marais, the minus 190 favorite. I know you've prepared for both of these guys. How's it going down this weekend? Yeah, I'm going to, uh, first of all, this, this $100, I mean... 2018 cost me like 750 bucks to be on it the did. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, you guys are running a fucking Ponzi scheme over there. That's what we do. <laughs> uh, I'm saying hilarious. the first fight was very close. I had Murray's winning. I'm saying a Sunsouth had too many close split decisions. This one's not going his way. I go with Murray's. All right, Marlon Marais, the prediction from Ray Longo. Notice how Ken Flo, he like subtly took a shot there at his year-end bonus not being yep. up to snuff. <laughs> hey, he didn't make the right picks, Ray. What are you going to do? I guess that's it. You guys we got tried. the bonus. What are you talking about? We tried. Yeah. Uh, Ken Flo's bonus was bigger than yours. I mean, I'm, I'm okay telling our audience that. <laughs> hey, uh, do you Ken have... Do you have 60 more okay. seconds? I just want to get your take on one final item. Let's do it. Come on, man. So I, this I, I, probably... I don't like... Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead, man. I know when we're on video, it's less of a traffic jam. So the floor is yours. Exactly. I, 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 that's what I was going to say. I don't like not looking at you guys. Right now, I'm <laughs> talking to a no-caller ID, and I don't like it. <laughs> well, Ken Flo today looks so good. He looks like he was born in 1986 and not 1976. <laughs> All right. Last thing. So this probably didn't cross your brow because your NFL boycott continues. But Oakland Raiders quarterback Derek Carr, I guess he didn't like what he heard on ESPN's first take from Max Kellerman and my colleague Stephen A. Smith. Uh, so much so that he tweeted at the UFC and Dana White. He wrote, hey, how do I challenge a couple of these clowns on TV to a fight? I think we should start a business together where pro athletes can challenge some of these people to an octagon fight until they give us an answer. Uh, and he went on to say, you don't know me. Stop lying. And then Bovada pushed out a betting line that Stephen A. Smith would be a slight favorite if he were to get in a cage fight against Derek Carr. Oh, man. Have you ever, have you ever, has there ever been a pundit or an expert? I mean, I know when you, when I say things that you don't like, you know, you rake me over the coals. I mean, has there ever been a guy that has really said something that, that you felt was either defaming one of your fighters or defaming you? Have you ever gotten super animated with a talking head in your career? No. <laughs> I don't it's think like so, walk no. off a duck's back, huh? <laughs> But, but somebody made Stephen A. Smith a favorite in an octagon fight. Well, right. It's crazy. I know he has a, an athletic background and he played basketball, but basically they're telling you that Stephen A. Smith is favored to beat a, a, an NFL quarterback that is supposedly in his athletic prime right now. is a little crazy, I would think. Wow. Yeah, yeah we want that guy making some uh, lines for us. 
<laughs> yeah, right. right. Unbelievable. Seriously. All right, man. No, well, I, uh, I don't really, I don't get caught up in the bullshit like that, really. You know, I really don't. So I'm going to say the answer is no, but I'll think about it and have another answer for you next week. All right, buddy. Thanks for the time. And Ken uh, we'll, Flay, got anything else for Ray before we let him fly? That's it. We miss you, buddy. Yeah, miss you. When are we getting video? Is there? Any I don't know. We we need to see the hair do. I know. I know. I want to see. Uh, I want to see your new cut. He says it looks great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hey, I'm looking uh, at a red dot right now. I'm looking at a red dot with a phone on it. I mean, this is all awful. All right, we'll try to uh, we'll try to be better next week, and uh, I'll try to not put too much pressure on Aljo in terms of the stakes of the fight. I'll see you soon, man. All right, guys. Thanks a lot, guys. See you, right. The Ray Longo Minute every week can flow right here on the Anakin Florian Podcast. You know, it seems like he is not trying to overstate this Sterling Rivera fight, but, dude, it's like, I mean, I hate to say it, but if Aljo loses that fight, it's going to be a, a tough climb. 135, oh. man. Go look at the top 15. It's like, I, mean, I don't want to say it all comes down to this, but if you're Aljamain Sterling, hope you're not listening. It all comes down to this, in my opinion. Yeah, 135 pounds uh, is just ridiculous right now. And, and you're right. I mean, listen, every fight is going to be important when you're talking about, you know, the top seven guys. Um, but this fight in particular is a tricky one for both guys, uh, and it's an interesting style matchup. So uh, wish wish the best of both of those guys. All right, so Ken Flo rallied, as many of you know, to win the 2018 Main Event Challenge. I will pay off my bet here and do the Power Hour in a couple of weeks, but you know, if you're on the losing end, as I have been the last two years, there's only one thing that you can do. You fucking dust yourself off, you get up. <laughs> And you try to take the kid out in 2019. To that end, let us get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. And it. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, so my quest to not lose back-to-back-to-back main event challenges begins in earnest right now. If you forgot the rules, quick refresher, there is added incentive to pick underdogs here. So an underdog, even as slight as plus 105 or even money, still gives you an extra point. If you're plus 200 to plus 299 in that range, you get an extra two points and so on. If you do have suggestions for slight scoring modifications or you want to participate against Ken Flo in the 2019 main event challenge. Podcast at gmail.com. Podcast at gmail.com. Give us your full name, your phone number. We don't need a reason why you want to make picks against Ken Flo. Podcast at gmail.com to be considered. Of course, the loser of this main event challenge uh, will have to do something that is, that is mostly unpleasant uh, as mutually agreed upon by the winning and losing teams. All right. UFC Fight Night, a Sunsal versus Marais 2, Fortaleza, Brazil, ESPN Plus this Saturday night. And joining us to make picks today, I, I think he's from the Midwest. Uh, podcast listener Kyle Michaels is with us. Kyle, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, Kyle. Is it Michaels or Mickles? It's actually both. One's just the American way or the European way of saying it. So if someone asks you to introduce yourself, what do you go with? Uh, Michaels. We'll do yes, one for one. I was going to ask you, but I wanted the challenge. <laughs> I mean, this, this is how pathetic 
my existence is. I like to challenge myself when it comes to pronunciations. Um, <laughs> well, Kyle, we appreciate your time, man, and your listenership. Obviously, I know you're a sharp MMA mind, and we're excited to begin 2019 with you. Today, guys, five picks of the six main card fights. First out of the shoot for us, light heavyweight division, Johnny Walker Blue, minus 220, taking on Justin Ledette, who was the plus 180 underdog. Johnny Walker won the UFC debut in a minute and 57 seconds. It was a knockout of Khalil Roundtree Jr. back in November. Certainly a memorable fight, a memorable result. His seventh straight win, and now the Brazilian gets another main card slot here, Kyle, against Justin Ledette. What do you think, Walker or Ledette for you? I'm going to go with Johnny Walker. Uh, I'll admit that I don't know too much about him, but what from what I can gather, he seems like a finisher, a strong finisher. And he seems like he might have more tools to win than Lennon. Lennon's got good boxing, but I don't think that might be a good, that might not be enough to hold up to the more diverse Walker. So let's go, Walker. All right, Ken Flo, Kyle likes Johnny Walker Blue. Ledette coming off his first loss as a pro. It came against Alexander Rockich, so that's a, a quality loss, if you want to call it that, even though it wasn't a great fight for him. That was last July. He was 3-0 and in the UFC coming in, started as a heavyweight, uh, but he's the underdog here, Ken Flo. What do you think, Johnny Walker or Justin Ledette? Yeah, listen, I, I agree with Kyle. I, I think that Walker has more ways to win. Um, I think his height is going to pose some problems for Ledette as well. And he's just a little too one-dimensional for me. Uh, can Ledette win? Absolutely. Uh, he does hit quite hard. Uh, and, and Walker can be susceptible to that overhand. Uh, but I, I think Walker gets it done. Uh, I think uh, I think Walker will get the finish somewhere in and around the second or third round. All right, moving on down the main card in Fortaleza. Charles Dubronx Oliveira, slight favorite here, minus 115 against David Tamer. Tamer, the Swede, comes back at minus 105. So you do get an extra point here if you correctly pick a Tamer win, and he wins because he is the underdog technically. Uh, Kyle, close fight on paper here. Tamer 5-0 and in the UFC. How do you think he fares this weekend against Charles Oliveira? Yeah, real tough fight to pick. Um, one guy in Tamer has real exceptional striking. The other guy, Oliveira, has real ex- exceptional grappling. Um. One thing that I think gets kind of overlooked is uh, Tamer's ring IQ or octagon IQ. Yeah. Um, I think he does a good job of staying away from other guys' strengths, and I think he just might do very well at staying away from Oliveira's jiu-jitsu. I think Oliveira still has a good chance at catching him, but I've also seen, from what I've gathered, he seems a bit susceptible to heavy strikers such as Paul Felder. But he does look strong since being at light heavyweight. So it's real tough to pick, but I'm going to go with Tamer. I think he stays away from the jiu-jitsu and somewhere down the line touches Oliveira and gets a TKO. All right, so David Tamer by TKO, the pick for Kyle. You're certainly hit on some good points when it comes to David Tamer. Ken Floyd's smart. He's technical. Uh, last three wins have been by decision, but he's unblemished, as I mentioned, 5-0 and in the UFC. Now, Charles Oliveira still not getting a chance to go back down and compete at featherweight despite his public wishes. Um, he's been quite good at lightweight, Kenny, 4-1 since moving back up. Do you know how many times Oliveira has missed weight, by the way, for 45 in the UFC, Flo? Uh, three times? Four. Oh, so he's missed weight four times. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Right. I mean, it sounds a lot bigger than three. Right. So despite his wishes, uh, those have not been granted yet. But I agree with Kyle. It's a it's a very interesting stylistic clash because Oliveira 
is only the single most decorated submission artist in UFC history. 22 UFC starts, 12 submission wins, 13 bonuses, including one for his finish of Jim Miller, which was just six weeks ago, Ken Flo. What do you think? Charles Oliveira, slight favorite here against David Tamer. Yeah, that's right. Now, listen, where one is weak, the other is strong. And um, I like Tamer. You know, he's good at uh, stopping the takedown. He's pretty good at, at moving his feet. Um, I think Oliveira, with his uh, Muay Thai-style approach, I, I think can uh, defend himself relatively well against Tamer as long as he doesn't get into a firefight, as long as he doesn't decide to just trade with Tamer in the pocket. I think he should be okay and be able to utilize his length and reach to keep Tamer on the outside and not take such damaging strikes. I think he needs to eventually, though, get to the clinch, look for that takedown where he's going to have a huge advantage. Tamer has an advantage over Oliveira on the feet, but not as big as Oliveira has on the ground. Can Tamer win this fight? Absolutely. This is another well-matched fight, but I'm going to go with Oliveira. I think he finds a way to take this to the ground. I think Tamer, while he's a very good striker, I think doesn't pace himself so well. He does get tired late in fights sometimes because of that uh, high-energy style. Um, sometimes gets a little too emotional in there, and, and, and it the fight being in Brazil, I think this favors Oliveira as well. I'm going to go with Dobronx. I'm glad you brought up the Brazilian backdrop because I do think it's a factor here. And, dude, Charles, he's just so confident right now despite yeah. his desire to go back to 45. He's a monster at 55, and uh, I thought he'd be a bigger favorite than uh, just slightly at minus 115. I guess we'll see how it plays out. All right, another interesting stylistic matchup here, in my opinion. Former two-time UFC title challenger Damian Maya, 41 years old now. He is the minus 170 favorite against Lyman Good. Good comes back at plus 145. Kyle Maya, one of the most tenured guys on the roster, 29th UFC appearance this weekend. He will get it on Brazilian soil. What do you think about the home game for Maya against Lyman Good? Um, I think all good things about it. I just want to say that Lyman Good is probably one of the scariest dudes I've ever seen in Ooh. the room. Yeah. And uh, he's super strong, and sure, he always has that chance to maybe catch Maya, but I definitely got to go with Maya in Brazil. I think he wins via submission somewhere down the line. All right, Damian Maya by submission for Kyle. So Lyman Good, Kenny, you know his story well. We interviewed him on MMA Live way back in the day, 2008. He's battled injuries, suspension, a lot of different circumstances in his MMA career, but the pro record still pretty shiny, 20-4 and four with a no contest. He's been as inactive as anyone, though, for whatever reason. UFC debut was in 2015, only two fights since. Did fight recently. It was a TKO of Ben Saunders November 3rd of last year at UFC 230. What do you think about Lyman Good here, plus 145 against Maya? Uh, listen, I, I think this is uh, quite possibly the worst uh, stylistic matchup for him in the division in, in a lot of ways. Uh, I think Good has some excellent power. Uh, I think he moves pretty well. Um, I think he's definitely going to have the, the speed advantage over Maya. And, and Maya... Um, needs to be careful. Sometimes he gets caught in boxing mode. And I think as this fight goes on, it favors Lyman Good. There's no doubt about it. But I think Damian Maya in Brazil, if he's able to get good up against the fence, I, I think Lyman can wrestle pretty well, but I'm not sure he's going to be good enough early on against Damian Maya. Um, I, I think it's either going to be an early win for Maya or a late win for Good on the feet. I'm going to go with the early win for Damian Maya uh, by submission. Uh, I think Maya's ability to get this fight to the ground 
it, it might be a little bit too strong early on for, for Lyman. And I don't care who you are in that division. If you're on your back against Damian Maya, he's going to take advantage and he's probably going to take you out. All right. Two plays there on Damian Maya in the minus 170 range. That brings us to the co-main event, which is just outstanding. A couple of Brazilians here, fourth-ranked featherweight contender, Renato Moicano, minus 130, the favorite against the number two-ranked former world champion, Jose Aldo. Aldo comes back at plus 110. Kyle Moicano, considered by a lot of people, despite the number four next to his name, to be the top contender. Lone pro loss came to Brian Ortega, a fight he was winning before getting finished. He's rallied from that with two very high-quality wins, outpointed Calvin Cater, unanimous decision, and then a performance bonus winning submission of Cub Swanson. That was back at UFC 227 in August of last year. Huge opportunity for Renato Moicano against the great Jose Aldo. Who do you like in the co-main? All right. This was the hardest fight for me to pick, personally. Um, Moicano is riding a lot of momentum right now, and he's a serious threat to everyone in the 145-pound division. But uh, at the same time, I can't overlook the veteran status of Aldo, former champion. And I think Aldo might have fought the better competition still out of the throughout both guys' careers. And like I said, it's really hard for me, but let's go with the underdog. I think Aldo gets this done somehow. I think it's another bite down and gritty performance from him, and he pulls it off somehow. Somehow, some way, the king of Rio will rise again. So it was October 8th, 2011. Our own Kenny Florian in what proved to be his final professional mixed martial arts fight fought Jose Aldo. They went 25 hard minutes. Flo, this is one of the greatest featherweights of all time. Obviously, some would argue he's still the best when you look at the title defenses, the strength of schedule, and everything else. I just feel like we need to appreciate him because you just never know when Jose Aldo is going to walk away and go back to his burger joint and everything he's established in Rio and move on from the game. It was a huge stoppage win for him against Jeremy Stevens, and that thrust him right back into title contention late last year. What do you think about Jose Aldo here in this three-round co-main event against Hanato Moicano? You know, I I just don't think it's over yet for Jose Aldo. I, I think he has certainly changed his style over the years. Um, we haven't seen the Aldo that has kicked uh, as much as he used to uh, for whatever reason. Some people point to that possible um, uh, moped accent that he had in, in, in Brazil of why maybe he doesn't kick as much. Um, I would like to see him bring that back, and I think he definitely needs to use that uh, against the taller uh, Hinata Moicano. Now, uh, I think Moicano is a good fighter. I, I think he's solid everywhere, um, doesn't have a whole lot of weaknesses necessarily, But I think Aldo is just going to be faster. I think he's better on the ground. Uh, I think Aldo is a little bit more of a cleaner striker as well when he's staying disciplined. Sometimes Aldo, not sometimes, I think a lot of times in the last few fights, he gets way too emotional uh, and ends up in these firefights. And I think every time you do that, you're throwing the dice in the pocket. I mean, these are little gloves. You're staying in the line of fire. Uh, You're not finding angles. You have to be very, very careful uh, but I still think Aldo has enough uh, to to beat um, Moicano, and I think there's a reason why he took this fight and made it a three-rounder instead of a right. five-rounder. 
Dude, I mean, how do you pick against the King of Rio? You know, I know that's a title that some of us have bestowed upon him. And Kenny, I don't have to tell you what that distinction means in Rio de Janeiro. But God damn it, he will always be the King of Rio to me. And I'm just excited to sit back, set my alarm clock, right? Because I will have slept for three hours. I'll wake up and you can be sure when Jose Aldo is fighting live on television, I will be watching. All right, the main event, a rematch that figures to at least give us some semblance of clarity in the UFC's bandweight division. Marlon Marais, minus 190. Rafael Asuncao, the plus 160 underdog, despite the fact that he won the first meeting by split decision. So that one was UFC 212, June 3rd, 2017. It was Marais' UFC debut. The numbers were very close, very quickly here. Significant strikes. Asuncao, 43 of 134, 32%. Marais, 44 of 150 29%, three total takedown attempts between them. Asuncao 0 for 1, Marais 0 for 2. Now, Kyle, Marais is the betting favorite here in some part because of his recent performances, back-to-back vicious knockouts of Aljamain Sterling and Jimmy Rivera, one of them 67 seconds, the other, I think, 33 seconds. Uh, Asuncao, though, did take the head-to-head meeting. He has won four straight overall. This is the main event. We'll need a round and a method of victory. Kyle Michaels. Who wins the main event on the equator? Okay, another tough fight to pick. Um, I think it's going to be quite similar to their first meeting, but the key difference is going to be it's five rounds versus three rounds as last time. I think Asuncio is kind of in a position where he needs to impress if he really wants to get that title shot in 2019. And I think he definitely has the counter punch ability to catch Marais flipping. He almost kind of did in the, I think it was the third round of their first fight, but Marais shook it off pretty good. And uh, I think the five round fight kind of favors Marlon a little bit more being a former champion and doing the five round fights a little more often than Asuncial has in the past. And Real tough, but I'm going to go with Marais. Again, I think it's very similar to their first fight. I think it's going to be really close. It might even be a little bit more entertaining with it being the main event in Brazil. We could see a really good competitive back-and-forth fight. But I think at the end of it, I think that it's going to be a split decision for Marais. Can I pick that? Of course you can. Marlon Marais by split decision. You also get credit if he wins by unanimous decision. Kyle Michaels, great job today. Where are you from, by the way, before we let you go? I'm from Waukegan, Illinois. It's like right in the middle of Chicago and Milwaukee. So Okay. So are you a, are you a Chicago Bears fan? I'm actually a New Orleans Saints fan. Oh, man. I'm sorry. Well, I'm not even going to bring <laughs> up any more football, man, then, because I just feel for you. Yeah, yeah. I, you know can't complain too much because yeah. to contact sport. Yep. But I thank you so you. much for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you, Our Ken. Pleasure, thank man. you, John. Good work, Kyle. Thank you. All right. So Ken Flo will need a main event pick here. Marlon Marais minus 190. Rafael Asuncao plus 160. The only bantamweight in UFC history with more wins at 135 pounds in the octagon than TJ Dillashaw is Rafael Asuncao. I do believe, Kenny, if he wins this fight, he'll hold out for that undisputed UFC Bantamweight title fight. I think when Henry Cejudo knocked out TJ Dillashaw quickly, a lot of us 
pivoted our thoughts to Marais and Asuncao, be like, man, this is like worst case scenario for these guys, right? That those two now are almost set up for an immediate rematch. But this is a huge fight nonetheless, even if the next fight for the winner is not for the belt immediately. Marais Asuncao too, Ken Flo, which way are you going? And listen, yeah, the, the winner of this fight should get the next title shot, in, in my opinion. It definitely would put them in position. Uh, Asuncao especially, uh, given the fact that he he does have a win over TJ Dillashaw. Uh, and he did it in Brazil. And uh, I think we were there for it. But, uh, you know, Asuncao is, Asun is a solid fighter, doesn't have a whole lot of weaknesses in his game. He's smart, um, you know, knows when to be conservative, knows when to be aggressive, has brutal leg kicks. Um, but I think, you know, Moraes, I think he learned a lot in that first fight. He, that was his UFC debut. Imagine having your UFC debut against Rafael Asuncao. And I think the big takeaway for me in that fight with Moraes is could he have won that fight? Sure. But I think he looked at that fight and said, you know what? I should have been busier. I took my foot off the gas in that fight. And I think that really was the big difference. He didn't throw a whole lot of volume against a Sun Sal. Uh, and I think if he did, he would have certainly won that fight. And I think um, he's going to make those adjustments in this fight. I think Marlon Marais will win this fight. You know, I'm, I'm tempted. I'm tempted to do like a fourth round or f- fifth round TKO for Marais. But I think that just the veteran of Sun Tzu and, 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 you know, the fact that he's going to be fighting tough and it's rare that you ever see him get caught in this sport. I'll, I'll go with the decision as well for Morais. Yeah, Sun Tzu about as hard to hit as it gets. Third highest strike defense in UFC bandweight history. And at least over the first 15 minutes, he proved hard to hit. So you both agree Marlon Marais by decision. All right, one final prediction this week. You know, most of our main event challenge is UFC selections, but there are a couple times a year where we will make football picks. And because this is our last show before Super Bowl 53, it is time for our Super Bowl predictions. I will lead. I'm very excited because I don't get to make any picks on this show. So. <laughs> All right, so you know I never pick the Boston teams to win, so I'm certainly going with the Rams, but how do I arrive at that decision? So this defense okay. scares the hell out of me, particularly up front, Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue on the defensive line. I think Tom Brady's going to lean on James White. I think it's going to be a lot of quick dropbacks, trying to get rid of the football to take that defensive line out of the game. But I have said for years that the Patriots' most valuable player is not Tom Brady or somebody on defense. It's number 11, Julian Edelman. And if Sean McVay and the Rams can figure out a way to take Julian Edelman away, I think it's going to be a long day for the Pats. I'm hoping that's not the case. But when you've seen the third down production from Julian Edelman in the postseason, uh, I think this is a Rams defense that is going to try to take him out of the game. And if they do, I think it's going to be an uphill battle. I'll go Rams 27, Patriots 21. By the way, the spread's two and a half. So it's New England minus two and a half. The Rams are plus two and a half points. I think the Rams win this game outright, Kenny. I hope I'm wrong. How do you see it playing out next Sunday in Atlanta, kid? Pretty simple, John. I don't know shit about football, but <laughs> I will I will make a prediction. Uh, the very little that I know about football, I, I, listen, I, I think the Patriots can get it done. I think they have so much experience out there. The Rams, uh, they scare me both offensively and defensively, but um, I think the Patriots will win this one, and uh, – how? I don't know, man. I don't know. Another, oh. another, another like last minute win uh, from Brady, you know, a little comeback. Oh, I can't I take know. it. I can't I take it, Flo. I, I, you know, somebody asked me, what's your dream scenario? Like Brady wins it on the final drive, a really close competitive Super Bowl. 
Neither. What do you think? It's 52 to 7 <laughs> New England with no emotion, right? Blacking out by halftime because I don't have to worry about the second half, right? I don't want a close Super Bowl. I want a great game. Yeah. No, for sure. Hey, listen, I, I got a question for you. If, if, if the Patriots win this one, would you yeah. want to see oh. Brady retire after the season or would you want to see him uh, play another one? I want to see him play as long as he wants to. And, and I mean, short of an injury happening in this game, I mean, he has said there's a 0% chance that he's retiring after this football game because, Kenny, unlike all these other athletes, right? Yeah. And I, I should say, unlike most other professional athletes, he's not so focused on going out on top, right? He mm-hmm. will leave the game when maybe he no longer can compete at the highest level. But I think his individual goals sort of, are transcendent at this point, and he, and he wants to play until he's 45 years old, and uh, far be it from me to doubt his ability to do so, you know? Great answer. All Love right. it. Before we go, Flo, I know you've got some news to share, some positive news on one of your former training partners, professional boxer Adonis Stevenson. Yeah, that's right. You know, uh, a lot of people know uh, a couple months back, you know, he, he fought um, – in Quebec and, and, uh, you know, after his fight, he was feeling dizzy and actually went into a coma. Um, and then in early December, uh, there was some news that he was coming out of his coma, that he, he began talking and there were some good signs. And, and now they're saying that he is talking, he's actually, uh, walking on his own now. And, and again, it's just another reminder that the combat sports is very real and the threats are very real as well. And it was just scary hearing that news. I didn't see the fight. I heard the news, uh, you know, a couple weeks after I had no idea. Um, he was a guy that, that I trained with and, you know, quiet guy. I didn't know him well at all. But uh, again, it, it was it was a powerful reminder for me that things can go wrong in the sport. You are getting yeah. hit in the head. Uh, and, uh, you know, my thoughts and prayers are with him and his family. And, uh, I I was, uh, I was happy to see that news and I hope he's able to make a full recovery. He's not there yet, uh, to where he used to be. Uh, but man, I hope he is great and does encouraging news on Adonis Stevenson. You know, what's interesting too. I, I took this concussion reporting class online last week. It it only Mm. took me 20 minutes or so, right, to get this concussion reporting certificate. And it was something my agent sent me just to look at and sort of just so that when something happens, and and a lot of it I think has to do with football and lacrosse and non-combat sports settings, right? But how, as a reporter or a journalist, you're supposed to handle those situations in terms of what the medical protocol is when somebody is injured to the head. But of course, as I'm taking this course, I'm thinking, well, we operate in a workspace in which part of the the, the goal here and the methodology in the sport is to cause damage to the head of your opponent. You know, it's a, it's very yeah. real. And I think sometimes we do lose sight of that. I mean, I covered a boxing death um, about... 14 years ago now god we're old but it's just it's really sad and i think sometimes as a boxing fan when you see it up close for you know 36 minutes of hell and you feel like you've witnessed three or four concussions it it has a a profound impact on you moving forward i will never forget that night and uh thankfully adonis he seems to be starting to come out the other side you know yeah, no doubt about it, man. And a lot of times, you know, we think, oh, this guy, he's got such a great chin. He's fine. That doesn't mean your brain isn't taking tremendous amounts of damage, right? right. So right. anyways, uh, yeah, I was I was happy to hear that news. And also congratulations to Ryan Bader. I know our MMA discussion almost solely focuses on the UFC, but there's a guy who had 20 UFC fights, and he's got a belt for each kid now as he is a two-division champion. And uh, 
just feel really good for Ryan Bader. I wish he got that Cormier fight in 2015. I know it's the one that, that got away. The fight never happened. But uh, good for Ryan Bader making money and, and winning gold outside the UFC. All right, we got to get out of here. Thank you to the usual suspects, Ray Longo, TJ DeSantis behind the glass. Also, thank you to mybookie.ag for sponsoring the program this week. Next week, full Fort DeLaser recap. And then we turn our attention to UFC 234 and the middleweight championship fight between Robert Whitaker and Kelvin Gastelum from Melbourne, Australia. With that, have a great week, folks. Enjoy Super Bowl 53. For Ken Flo, I'm John Anik. We'll talk to you again next Monday, even if the Pats lose. We'll be here until then. You'll later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast is a TJ DeSantis production. Its content is intended for private use only. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network. Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.